You're listening to Notably Texan from 88.9 KETR and KETR.org. I'm your host, Matt Minky, and it has been far too long since we've spoken in our studios with today's special guest, who grew up in Northeast Texas, used to be in an old band called Radish with Ben Queller. He followed that up with success as a solo artist, gaining attention on country music television with songs like My Girl. But after his last album release around 10 years ago, he sort of fell off the music radar and has been doing other things related to the music business. But now he's back with a new album called Patina, and he's back in the KETR studios. We're very excited to talk today on Notably Texan with John David Kent. Welcome back to KETR, man. I think the last time we spoke face-to-face was all the way back in 2012, so I'm so excited to catch up with you today. First of all, so good to see you. So glad to be here, but slightly embarrassed that it's been that long. (laughs) Hey, man. I mean, life has a way of just kind of getting away from us sometimes. It it does. It does. And there's, there's, you know, I'm sure between the two of us, there's, there's, you know, there's been a lot of life lived, but, uh, but it's very good to be back here now. Well, and we'll, we'll get into, uh, to why you haven't, you know, uh, still been next door to just drop by all the time too, as we're talking today, but, uh, your history in music, of course, goes back several decades. Uh, I know you and another local native, Ben Queller, had a crazy run with the band Radish back in the early 90s. But uh, I was curious about when your interest in music like truly began back in the day. You know, I think it's it goes, it's so old. Um, I, I don't necessarily have a memory without music. And that's, that's probably how I'd frame it. I don't really have any memories that don't involve music more than like my first memory of music. You know, I had, my parents have a big record collection, you know, as people their age, that's how they listen to music. First, when I was like very small, we had like one of those console stereos that oh, have yeah. like the radio and the <laughs> yeah. eight track right. deck and the vinyl and the speakers all built in. It's like part of your furniture. Sure. It's part of your furniture display. So you have one of those and my parents taught me how to, work the record player and then at some point I definitely remember my dad investing would be the word in like a like a full nice stereo system for the living room and he got like two like Serwin Vega speakers and like you know a a nicer phono amp and all of that stuff and to this day those Serwin Vega speakers are still my favorite and that's like what I'm trying to put I'm trying to recreate that in my house now (laughs) in Nashville um uh, so those are like early, early memories that I have playing records. Um, I had a little, you know, little portable turntable in my room that I could play 45s. I, you know, I just, I guess I was infatuated with music and, and I took care of my parents' records and I would listen to them and I'd take them back. So, you know, I, I definitely remember there always being music played and sung. Um, I grew up going to church, so there were choirs that would sing and, you know, music being played. And, uh, you know, but one of my first memories playing music, um, so my, my parents play music and, you know, family members do. My dad and my uncle had a band called the Blandells that they started many years ago. In fact, the Blandells still, still play. Still around, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> with, with the founding member, Gary Felmet, who's been a coach around here for many years. Uncle Gare, what's up? <laughs> um, anyway, they were playing... Um, Somewhere, I can't remember, in the early, early, you know, first couple of years of them starting the band, and my uncle, so I'm a drum, for those who don't know, I'm a drummer first, that's how I, that was my, that's my first love, my first instrument, and my drum set was in my bedroom when I, when I was a little kid living in Leonard, Texas, 
And my uncle spent all day, my uncle John Michael Kent, um, my dad's younger brother, spent all day working with me on That'll Be The Day by Buddy Holly. And that's what we played. And it's not that difficult of a song, but like in the last course, it has that triplet da, 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 da thing. And I remember like us working that part out. And I was probably maybe, you know, six or so. And so that's like, that's my earliest, that, that's probably like the first time that I can remember performing live. Well, I know for many years uh, you had a studio in nearby Celeste. I think mm. that's where you started Blackland Records. Yes. But uh, a lot has changed uh, in your life, so let's try to kind of fill the gap since we uh, last spoke. Sure. Uh, I was wondering what prompted your move uh, away from this area, and where did you end up? I was traveling a lot. I was going back and forth to Nashville, m- mostly for like co-writing things. And even, even when I wasn't going to Nashville, I, I was finding myself in Austin for, you know, co-writes as well. And my thought process at the time was I was feeling like I needed to be plugged in um, to an industry, you know, because I had the label. And when I look back at the things we accomplished in Celeste, Texas, and this, this surrounding area and the support that we've always had, it's, 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 you know, it touches me really deeply and I'm so appreciative. But at the time, I felt like I needed, you know, to be around an industry. And by industry, I mean like businesses, like management companies, other labels, those kinds of things. And so my wife and I were talking about Austin versus Nashville um, for some un- for some reasons that affected like my blended family. Austin made the most sense. Um, so we ended up in a really cool hill country town outside of Austin called Marble Falls. And we were there for eight years and it, it, you know, it really became home and, and, um, that's probably where my my, at least my youngest, he started kindergarten there. Um, so when he thinks about being home, (laughs) um, that's a big part of his childhood, but my, you know, I mean, we still have family here. And so this is, you know, very much home as well. I mean, we're staying at my mom's house when we're here and like, (laughs) you know, it is like, you know, grandma's going to spoil the grandbabies, but, uh, (laughs) but that's what prompted the move. Um, and we were in Marble Falls for eight years. And then three years ago, we moved to Nashville. Well, I mean, those are obvious places to go for someone of, of your caliber of talent and everything. And I, I know that, uh, Everything had really blown up around this time for you with my girl and everything. Sure. So I'm, I'm sure it made sense to like, hey, you know, we need to be a little closer to where people are paying attention to music yeah. as opposed to Celeste, Texas. You well, know? but also, yes, like on paper, all of that makes sense. But it didn't exactly turn out that way the first couple of years that we were in the Hill Country. It was actually pretty tough. It took me like a couple of years to realize that I was sort of starting to slide into a rebuilding phase instead of like that. Cause I mean, like you said, I mean, I felt that hot streak and I did feel that. Um, and obviously I couldn't have done any of that without, you know, so many great supporters and you know, that the fan base that started here. So it took me a couple of years to sort of create what I thought I was just going to sort of plug into. I've, I've lived other places as a single person in this industry and it wasn't really about being plugged in. I was just, I was there and I was just sort of in it, but I never moved my family. All that is attached to that and, and plugging in with different families of, 
you know, your kids' friends and schools and just a whole nother community and all of those things. It's just, it's, it's hard. Moving to Nashville was much, much easier because so, so much of my network over the last 10 years, you know, from New York, LA, even Austin, so many of those acquaintances and friends and even, you know, family are in Nashville now. So showing up to town and since I'd been going there for the last decade or more to write, being plugged into that community was was what I thought moving to Austin would be. Well, I appreciate you opening up on that because I think a lot of myself included, a lot of people wondered kind of what happened to you. Well, you know? so, that's, uh, that's that's what happens. You know, if one day you wake up and you're like, oh man, I gotta lick my wounds a little bit. You know, I totally get it. You've certainly uh, kept busy over these years. I know that you were working as a duo with your uh, brother Tony Kent for a time. Yeah, yeah, my brother Tony, um, who played with me for many years, like, you know, with my solo thing. Um, He now plays with Whiskey Myers. A few years ago, Whiskey's original bass player, Gary, his wife was giving birth to their first child. And so he took six weeks off. So I filled in on bass. And so I worked it out with them that for some of the shows in the U.S., I would be the support act as a solo artist. And then I would play bass with them during their set. And then there was a two or three week UK run and I was the support act for, for all of those, um, which was really important because um, you mentioned Radish a few minutes ago. And Ben and I started going overseas in 96 with our band Radish. And we actually had more success over there than we did here. We had a top 40 single in, in Europe. So we were over there a lot and touring a lot. So I was just really aware of, of the fan base there and, and um, their relationship to music and, and just how they treat Americans. And like, and, and people don't really, they, they wouldn't think country music would translate or, or a form of country music. Um, Cause I don't necessarily think, I, I don't play like hardcore country and <laughs> neither gotcha. does whiskey, but it's very American. And, um, and so, you know, it just, it goes over so well there. And so I really wanted to be on those shows and, and doing that stuff. And so Tony joined me and, and out of that came this project called Kent by Kent. And and it's funny because, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this new album that I have oh, coming definitely. out. But I, there, there are a couple of starts on that on this album and some of the songs for the record that we started the Kent by Kent record ended up on this new one different different versions but um but yeah so you know Tony and I were doing that for a little bit and that felt good and creative but you know he was he got really um you know whiskey's just been on a on a very very strong upward trajectory for the last few years which I'm very proud of them they're they've been dear friends for you know years now and for tony to be involved in that organization is very cool and actually my uh, my first bass player jamie gleaves uh is now their bass player oh, so wow. after i was finished filling in for them then jamie stepped in and has been their their bass player you know for the last uh, handful plus years when we moved from celeste um, after we had been in Marble Falls for a, a few years, um, I acquired another downtown building. I have some sort of thing about downtowns, I guess. <laughs> um, but we created kind of a multifunction facility. It was a commercial recording studio, performance hall, and theater. Um, and so I did that for a little while. And, and between those, you know, those few things, I really stayed pretty busy those eight years we were there. Since I 
started or opened my studio, I've really been fascinated, I guess, with with the business side of music as well. And that has, you know, directly or indirectly led me into a lot of opportunities that I wasn't necessarily seeking that just kind of following an interest or an intuition found myself there, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, we had the studio and, and that was intentional and it was beautiful. And I had it for 18 years and it was one of the a highlight of my life. But having the studio, having so many bands congregate there, it sort of naturally led into the label. You know what I mean? So that's what I mean by like intentionally, unintentionally. Some of these things sort of happen as you just kind of get more involved in different aspects of of this industry. Life can throw you these really nice surprises if you just sort of stay curious, I guess, you know. John David Kent is my guest here on 88.9 KETR, and, and I have to say congratulations on the, the new Patina album. Thank this you. is such a strong return to releasing music. You talked about this a little bit, but what was it that really made you realize you were ready to share your songs with the world again after this long hiatus? You know, it's been 10 years, actually, since my last album, which is... Um, kind of mind-blowing when I when I when I look at actual like the dates the sort of bookended dates and so it's I mean I've been thinking about it for 10 years really you know I would go through seasons of writing songs and 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 maybe not writing songs doing other things um, I've never been one of those writers that writes a song a day I, I don't have that kind of catalog I have a side project in New York called the imbeciles and it's like uh, it kind of started out being this sort of 70s and 80s kind of UK punk band type thing and it's more just over the years have we've as we've made records it's turned into more of a just really a straight up just kind of rock and roll Foo Fighters type thing okay and I play bass and I sing and I front that band um, we've done some really cool tours with that band and the guitar player in the band is a guy by the name of Ben Rice and he's born and raised Brooklyn we just bonded at night on the tour bus over whiskey it would just be the tour of the two of us every night not getting drunk sitting there talking about music drinking nice scotch whiskey and just getting into it getting to know each other this is really funny so after radish ben started his solo career that's when i started producing and opened the you know the the studio in celeste and I, but I played drums on Ben's first album, his first solo album, Shaw Shop. Okay. This other guy, Ben Rice, that I just mentioned, he came by the studio when he was a little kid one day with a mutual friend while we were tracking Shaw Shaw. So I'd actually met Ben Rice when he was a little kid. Here we are, you know, 20 years later. Full circle. On huh? <laughs> this tour bus in Europe together. And Ben now, Ben Rice now owns a beautiful studio in Brooklyn. He produces, you know, he's a great producer. He's done the last couple of Valerie June albums. Um, got a couple of really cool things on deck that I, I'm probably not supposed to mention, so I won't. <laughs> right. Um, but he is a man on the move. He's a dear friend. He's a great producer. And so he was very, he, he's, he knew my trajectory as a, you know, radish, played drums with Ben, studio owner, solo artist, like he sort of knew the whole thing, which I was a little surprised, but he did. And he asked me to start sending him some some work tapes, you know, some just voice memos of new songs. So after I, you know, sent him eight or 10, he was like, we got to make a record. That's when 
I really started to get serious about making the the right record because I I've had a couple of starts whether it's been this Kent by Kent thing that Tony and I were doing or maybe just another version of of what was going to be my next solo album I felt with the conversations that I had with Ben Rice that it was it was going to be the right move and so that's what got me interested in making another album well man I'm, I'm sure glad that he pushed you to do it because we've we've missed you so <laughs> I, I appreciate that me too you know and uh and, and i'm you know i'm very proud of it it was it was a pleasure to make it you know here so here we go again 10 years later. <laughs> welcome back man. i appreciate str- it stronger good, than ever good to, uh, man i appreciate that <laughs> now uh, john david ken i've caught you in the area during your string of uh, album release shows here today which included a stop in greenville uh i understand that you've got the whole family involved in these appearances though don't you i do it's 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 so fun and that's 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 one of the reasons that i wanted to do it so my um my oldest stepson reed mcbroom is an incredible guitarist i mean he is world class and as soon as everyone in Nashville really knows he's there, because he li- he lives in Nashville as well, he's going to be gone. So I, I really okay. need this record to blow up before <laughs> people realize he's in town, so that they don't take him away from me. Um, but no, he, I would obviously I'd be happy for him if that happened because he he really is amazing and he's on that level. Um, and he's been playing with me for a few years now, so he's with me, uh, and he actually is a co-writer on probably half of the new album. I mean, we write together a lot and he's released stuff um, with a band he had called the Marfa lights that we wrote together on. He's written released stuff, you know, under his name that we, so we just, we write together a lot. Some stuff shows up on my project, some stuff his, and okay. we produce together and write for a couple of artists. So he's, he's involved. And then my son, Zai is now 17 and he plays drums and he's already got more gigs than I do in Nashville because you know drummers are a they're hard to come by but he's just that good and that's not a dad brag that's just like as a one drummer to another he's he's just you know he's good and so that's it's cool that you know I get to share this experience with him and then my youngest son Ryland who's 14 he's an incredible guitarist as well he's going to be joining us on you know the at the Hank show the last time they were on stage together, they were like little bitty boys, you know, and it was just like for one song. And this is actually like the whole show. And then Zai's friend, uh, Cooper, is playing keys. And then their friend, Conrad, amazing bass player. So my kids go to a music, they go to a music high school, like a magnet art school in Nashville. Um, and so many of their friends' parents are like artists and musicians, like, for real, like yeah. in the industry, so that's like they grew up. It's like you know the actors in Beverly Hills, right. kids growing up. Yeah. It's sort of like a similar thing, but without you know less drugs and you know stuff. Yeah. So, I gotcha. Hopefully, <laughs> nice. And uh, these shows, I think, are, are the first time that you've performed with a, a full band in quite a while. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I can't tell. It's probably been at least at least four years since I've done a full band show, maybe five. But even the like the last couple of years that I was doing full band shows, I was playing bass and singing. So it wasn't really even the the arrangement like, you know, in terms of band members that, that I would maybe prefer. But just because they were flying dates, people were coming in from, you know, it was just it was kinda hard to assemble, 
you know, to get everyone to assemble. So I would, you know, I was on bass, Reed was on guitar, and, you know, maybe Tony would be playing drums or something. So it's just easier to do it that way, kind of as a trio, me on bass. But to have keys and have a couple of guitars going and just the whole thing, it's 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 a real treat for me personally, you know. But uh, this is kind of a unique concept on these opening shows, right, where you, uh, oh, instead yeah. of just doing a mixture of songs, you were going in with a specific uh, playlist on each of these shows. I really wanted to do, like, you know, I sort of had this concept and I was thinking about like, kind of playing around, like, you know, the Black Lamb Block Party. Like, I sort of had sort of just a concept around the whole thing and maybe... Maybe this will be an annual thing. I, I don't know. I don't really want to predict that yet. But um, I wanted to do three nights, and I wanted to do them in different locations, and but close enough where if someone wanted to come to all three, they could. So first night, Greenville, Trenton, McKinney. Um, first night is the full album, full first album in its entirety. Second night, second album in its entirety. Third night, new album in its entirety. Wow. Full band family band um so that's that's you know the 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 concept in a nutshell and people have reacted you know warmly to the idea so that's cool yeah i don't know if i've ever really heard anybody doing it like that so it's a cool approach i appreciate it well uh you moved away years ago but you've uh still got some references to your home here in northeast texas on the new patina record Uh, for instance i love your choice of uh album artwork that features the map of the area that a lot of people might not notice good catch (laughs) good i appreciate that yeah i mean yes there are a lot of references about this area specifically and family members and relationships that i have if i had to sum the record up it to me is a confessional album and an observational album and there are a lot of things that are personal but not you know, I had someone that I'd shared it with recently. They were like, man, are you okay? Is your marriage okay? I'm like, yeah, dude, trust me. Like, you know, I'm all good. Abra's good. You know, everybody's good. So that that that's what I mean by observational, that some of these things maybe aren't necessarily something that I have lived, but it's been something that I've gone through maybe with someone else. Um, or we all have gone through a similar thing with someone and we can relate. And so it's observational in that way. But there are like some specific references. Um, my grandfather on my mother's side was, you know, very important um, in my life. And there's references to him and our relationship. And you see these things, even my kids, because we've, we've been back to Texas um, for a a couple of reasons in the last month you know they're 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 infatuated and in love with texas in a different way because they're not here every day and we are very proud texans i mean i have my subscription of texas monthly sitting right by the front door (laughs) like we keep it real um very very proud texan and hope to be back at some point but their relationship to texas is different when they come back they're like i didn't realize how pretty it was and how cool it was and so you sometimes you don't you just you've kind of you sort of lose focus because it's just a part of your environment every day take it for granted and yeah so if i'm sitting in nashville and i'm not maybe not i don't know that i would use the word homesick but if i'm just like being reflective and i'm thinking about things i'm probably going to write with an emotion differently than if i were sitting in celeste writing about the same thing and that's where it becomes reflective now i know uh, there was one song in particular that i noticed that uh, that definitely harkens back to your days here um this tune don't ask why 
Oh, yeah. There uh, seem to be a lot of references to your growing up around here. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and that was co-written with my stepson, Reed. He was actually living in California, and we wrote that song on the phone. I mean, it's, it's all 100%, you know, very accurate. But, but specifically on the third verse, it's like, uh, you know, Friday night, there's a football game. Daddy wore 14. His dad, Mike McBroom, who also was in the Blendells, played around here. Great guitarist, great songwriter. He wore 14 in high school. That's true. There's a, there's a, it's actually a hill or a mound. It's not a pit, but there's a place in Leonard, Texas, where my dad's from. So I have lots of, you know, I have family and friends there. It's a place they call the Rock Pit that they take like Jeeps and stuff and hang out there. And so it's like, you know, you go, go down to the Rock Pit to celebrate in vain. So it's like there are these like things that are, I mean, you know, there's another song. Small Town USA that talks about a cafe on Highway 69. No, maybe it's the same song. I, yeah, I think it might be. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look at you knowing better than yeah, I. Yeah, let me tell so, you about your lyrics. No. Exactly. No, thank you. <laughs> no. So, yeah, so that's the quick check in Celeste, Texas, which is right across from my studio. Wow. And every morning when I would go over there before I would start my sessions, you know, there's going to be like six older men, you know, in overalls and whatever, and they're going to be talking about the weather and... Yeah, you know, so so I mean, it's just like that was that was my life, but but maybe I don't know that I could have written that living here. So with all this time that you were talking about spending in Nashville, a lot of people might assume that's where the record was made. But uh, where did you actually record Patina? I recorded it in Brooklyn, New York, um, which is yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's kind of funny because I mean, it's it is like what what I would call an Americana record. And I don't know that people necessarily associate Brooklyn, New York with having Americana records being made there or, or artists, but both do happen. You know, there are a lot of this Americana music being made there specifically by my friends who are there. Uh, and then I have, you know, artist friends who are kind of, maybe it's a little bit more underground, but that was sort of part of what made the story interesting to me in wanting to pursue this version of, of this album in, in reference to me starting having a couple of starts on a couple of different other versions. Ben Rice and I, you know, sharing these stories and songs and really feeling like he was the guy to produce it. Him having the studio, you know, all of the guys. So the, the band, like the studio band, our, our Nora Jones band. When she does not, she has different versions of the band, but when she's playing like with her bigger electric band, the band that's on the studio, including her husband Pete on keys, that, that's who is on, the, on my album, Patina. You know, everyone that I've played with over the last, you know, 12 years have been great. You know, I'm joined in Greenville with Jason Andrew on fiddle, who was, you know, when I, when I started my solo thing, it was John David Kent and the dumb angels. The dumb angels is, is a very, very deep, uh, piece of beach boys, uh, knowledge. And that's what inspired the name. So some people are dumb. Oh, that sounds terrible. It, it was actually meant it was endearing from Brian Wilson to his brother, Dennis, huge beach boys fan, huge Dennis Wilson fan. That's where it came from. So, I remember talking about this yeah, with you a million yeah, years we, ago. <laughs> yes, we, we definitely did. But, you know, uh, for those who may not remember, that's when I came out as, you know, John David Kent and the Dumb Angels. And so um, Jason Andrew was 
in that original lineup. He's on the first album. He's with us at the show in Greenville, and he's going to join us again at Hank's. So it's great, you know, to have him be a part of this. But it was great to have this experience with this album because these are not guys that I'd been out playing shows with for a couple of years. And so there's a different interpretation when you're just hearing something and it's kind of fresh in that way. It's like having a few minutes to whip up some kind of amazing meal with some ingredients maybe that you're slightly familiar with. And sometimes you're able to do something really creatively different because you're not locked. You know, like if you've been playing a song for a year or even even like a couple of months live, sometimes it's hard to go into a studio and hear it a, a different version. Like if a producer might might think, oh, we need to change this arrangement or you know, maybe this bridge isn't working, lose this. Sometimes it's like you, you, you get so like emotionally attached to these things. Yeah. And so, you know, as a producer and a multi-instrumentalist, in theory, I could have made this record between myself and the producer, but I didn't want that experience. I wanted these guys' involvement. I wanted their interpretation. And if and when I had an idea, they would just give it back to me better than than what I was what I was asking. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's just uh, so many great tracks on there. I want to play another one uh, here in just a little bit, but I'm always interested on the insights on how this sure. stuff is made. Sure. You know, uh, the last time you put out an album, people were uh, still utilizing CDs and more apt to kind of buy a physical copy. And uh, this is something I've been asking recent guests about lately. You're really kind of uh, getting back on the bike in a lot of ways Absolutely. here. Absolutely. But uh, how do you feel like you're kind of adapting to the new norms in the music business? <laughs> um. I think I'm going to sort of borrow something from my producer and then I'll maybe expand on that just for a minute. My, my producers of the mind that all platforms are great as long as people are listening to your music or listening to music. And, and I, I would agree with that a hundred percent that if you prefer to listen to it on CD, I, I want to try to accommodate that. Uh, I want to try that. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to always be able to deliver because some people are starting to listen to cassette tapes again. I'm probably not going to get this made on cassette tape. Yeah. But it's not for like, I don't ethically, I'm not against it. I just, I won't go into the reasons why, but as an example, I don't know that I could personally provide every platform, but I want to try to accommodate as many as I can. So that's how I'm adjusting. I, I, you know, I know vinyls making like a huge comeback and I'm glad to see that. But for me, my relationship with that has nothing to do with a trend. It has everything to do with my first memories of music and that relationship. So when I had the, this, my other two albums aren't available on vinyl. Vinyl wasn't as much of a thing. It certainly wasn't as much of a thing with like America, like, you know, Texas Red Dirt, Texas Country, country music, you know, all, whatever I category I could kind of fall under. Um, and, and it's very expensive to get it made. You know, I don't know if people realize that, but it's expensive to get it made. And right now, especially it takes, you know, sometimes up to six months. And I can assure you that when I've got the test pressing and I listened to this album, you know, my own music on vinyl for the first time, it was one of the greatest highlights of my life. Nice. Um, personally. So those are, those, you know, I, I'm trying to accommodate um, as, as many of the platforms as people want to you know, uh, get their music on. Um, it's a personal um, victory for me to have it on vinyl. And apologies that... to, to old school fans of the eight track, but I don't think we're gonna, <laughs> we're not going to be putting it out on that probably either. Uh... Probably, you know, those had a weird way of they just 
logistically, they just it, it's hard for them to operate. I don't I know. know. It was, um, no, let's please not bring back the eight track. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't see that one. But I've been wrong before, so yes. <laughs> no one would have predicted the comeback of vinyl, as you said, either. Yeah, so. I don't think no. Now uh, you wrote or co-wrote all the songs on the record, didn't you? Um, on the new one, yes, except for one. My stepson and his friend Drake wrote the very first song called "Up All Night," and it's one of the greatest songs I've ever heard. Like, period, across the board. Reed was maybe living in California, and he was back home visiting, and we were at my studio uh, in Marble Falls that I mentioned. Okay, it was, called, it was called Uptown Sound. And it was this beautiful old theater, downtown theater built in the early 30s, and it had this side door to the stage. It was all the way I remember is almost like, like a like like cinematic. Like we were standing <laughs> like kind of in the breezeway between the stage and the side door, and he was getting ready to leave. And he's like, I wrote the song, and he played it for me, and I was like, I gotta get a voice memo of that. So it just blew me away. It blew me away because a technically it's just a it's just such a well-written song and b i could have written that song lyric like lyrically i just connected to it on such a deeply personal level i had to do it i mean i don't i felt and and still feel so strongly about that song in particular i probably wouldn't have made a record and released a record without being able to include that um so even though i didn't write it it's as personal when I perform it as any song that I've written. You revisited a song which originally was on your uh, Before the Sun Comes Up record in 2013, Should Have Just Let Me Go. Man, again, can't get anything past no. you, man. <laughs> but I was going to say, you've got so many great tunes from those earlier releases, so uh, how did you land on that one to, to kind of revisit it out of all your older songs? So there's two songs from the second album that I really feel like you know could have and maybe will have kind of another life. And I, I mean, there artists do that, so it you know it has been done. I'm not like rewriting the rule book here or anything, but um, I just I, I don't know. I felt that that song needed a, another chance, and so I didn't. I, you know, the the producer never heard the the the, the other version. Oh, really? I rec I sent that song to him as a voice memo, as he heard all of these songs, just me and a guitar or me and a piano. Together, we sort of narrowed down the list from like maybe eighteen or 20 songs to 12. I did pitch it, but he ultimately hit on it. He was like, I think that we should do this one. So I sort of like played it cool. Yeah. And, and then after I was like, well, okay, I'm glad you hit on that one because I felt like it needed a chance, but I do want to let you know that I, you know, it's on a pre-released album. Um, he's like, that's, that's, we'll do a new version, but I think it should be on here. So that that's how that's how that went. Okay. But there's another song, Struck a Nerve, off of the my second album that I, I do think, I don't know if that'll be a re-release or maybe even re-record it, but that's another one in particular that I do feel like probably needs another shot. I was uh, really surprised to hear a, uh, a string section behind you <laughs> on the new song, uh, You're So Good. That was a first for you, I believe, right? It is, yeah. <laughs> So much of the music that I heard as a, a, a child had string arrangements. That's just how music was made. And my parents listened to very, I mean, that's probably probably the greatest gift outside of just like taking care of my physical and like emotional needs. Like probably the greatest thing my parents did for me besides the obvious like support and all that stuff. But like the greatest gift is probably like their taste in music. Because I'm not exaggerating at all. It ranged from 
like mountain bluegrass music to like early hip hop run DMC stuff and everything in between to, you know, gospel old, like doo-wop, um, you know, sixties, like rock, rock. I mean, you know, there was just such a diversity in music in their record collection, but a lot of the stuff, um, that maybe I started to gravitate towards were a lot of like fifties music, big productions, lots of strings, horn sections, orchestral things, you know? Yeah. So to be able to have strings on there, that was like a next level for me. You know, I mean, I'd love to make more music where, you know, you're getting 12 songs with strings, you know, I don't know what the next record's going to be yet. We'll see. Maybe it'll be all strings and horns and no drums. Maybe it'll be all instrumentals. Wouldn't that that be funny? I would love it. As a solo artist, a singer songwriter, (laughs) here's 12 instrumentals. (laughs) Hey, I I actually like to play instrumentals. Oh, I love instrumentals. I'm just like, it would just kind of be like a funny joke for a a singer songwriter to put (laughs) out it's a a whole album of instrumentals you know that would be pretty great probably get a lot of press actually (laughs) yes i don't know actually cut this out so no one steals the idea (laughs) good idea yeah we'll keep this between us well uh, i believe that you're a a longtime fan of radio and uh, things have of course really changed over our lifetime with uh, you know deregulation and and kind of conglomerates owning most uh, commercial stations uh, we always like to ask guests when they're in to talk about this, and uh, I know I'm opening up a big can of worms here, but uh, <laughs> uh, why are listener-supported public stations like KETR uh, important to you personally? They support the community. They're supported by the community. It just feels like more communal to me. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I probably need a minute to really be able to articulate my point, but it feels important because it feels more tangible and accessible to everybody, and it doesn't feel influenced by the money as much and i and i'm i'm i don't want to be self-righteous because i definitely believe in making money i'm not trying to make a hard stand on that one way or the other but i do i grew up watching public access tv and that was probably my first exposure to it that was that was a part of my education right and i think radio that platform is culturally educational Right. As I've gotten older and I've seen it directly affect my life, my career. We mentioned off air and I don't mind mentioning again that my wife, I mean, we contribute and we support. Um, So it's not I'm not like giving you hot air here. This is something that is it's truly a part of our you know, it's a part of our lives and and, and what we feel like we want to contribute to and support. You know, more than anything, it, it just feels more part of the community. Well, there's definitely no uh, right or wrong answer to the question. We just love to get the testimonials from people while they're here. What, what would you say to somebody who uh, who listens maybe to Notably Texan every day, but it's never supported? I would want to encourage them to support. Um, I think that because of the support, we can honor people like yourself for 25 years of service. It's important. You shared that little piece of information with me and I want to share it back. Those things are so incredibly important and we get to celebrate those things. People like yourself, 25 years of service to a community when people support. And that is why it's important for people to support so that we can continue to celebrate other people's 
contributions. Man, I got to say thank you so much for devoting all this time and all your insights. It's been so great to catch up with you, man. It's truly my pleasure, honestly. Um, I would just say let's not wait 11 years to do it again. <laughs> Absolutely. I totally agree, man. <laughs> well, uh, best of luck with everything. Thank you. The new album is Patina. It's out now on Blackland Records. Uh, the website is, uh, I think it's johndavidkent.com, it. right? Three first names, johndavidkent.com. you got to have that to be uh, be any kind of a country artist. Hey, anyways. man, I'll take it. You know, <laughs> I will. Well, uh, let's stay in touch, man, and I'd love to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. So good to be here. For more about Notably Texan and listener-supported radio for Northeast Texas, visit KETR.org. And to support these interviews and our unique Texas-infused playlists, you can click the Donate button. I'm host Matt Menke, and I really appreciate you listening.